Hi, I'm Frankie de Jong, and you're listening to PR Football. Welcome, ladies and gents from California to Crete. It's BR Football Rank. Strap in, take a seat. It's nearly November. We're 10 weeks in. So it's time for an update on this whole thing. Who started better? Who started worse? And of course, it's going to be in your favourite rhyming verse. So let's start in England in the Premier League, where things aren't exactly how folks predicted they would be. But things are looking good for Liverpool and Klopp. Six points clear, the Reds cruising at the top. City chasing up, Raza Sterling still the man. But at the moment, it's a case of catch us if you can. Leicester City, history makers, Rodgers is a hit. But we'll be deep diving proper on the Foxes in a bit. Lampard's got the kids firing down at Chelsea. United and Arsenal in their personal hells. The new boys fighting hard, scrapping, warring. And you know Sir Roy has those eagles soaring. Questions for Tottenham, big questions for sure. But let's kick this on to a European tour. In the Liga, they're working hard, but no one... One's working harder and let's have a round of applause for plucky little Granada. Top of the league, a miracle in Spain, a stroke of luck or Leicester once again. And shouts out Real Sociedad, the most fun of all. Odegaard and Oyazabal, just magic on the ball. The big dog's still about though. Real, Barca, Atleti started slowish, but no doubt they'll get faster. Villarreal and Sevilla happily going steady and Betis and Espanyol in trouble already. Off we go to Deutschland where it's hugely tight again. Only five points between those on top and those at 10, but it's Gladbach leading the pack. Entertainers to the core. In their nine league games, there's already four times they've scored three or more. Bayern on their heels and Dortmund close behind. It's going to the wire. Strap in for the ride. Leipzig getting stronger and Wolfsburg in the mix. Anyone's guess where these will finish? One through to six. In Italy and Serie A, there's a little bit more space. And Juve and Inter head a flying title race. Atalanta still quietly breathing down their necks. And never count out Napoli when Carlo's on the decks. Roma and Lazio battle in the chasing pack. While Montella's 3-5-2 has Fiorentina back. And what about Milan all the way back in the bottom half? Gianpaolo sacked Piolian. Are they on the right path? And off to France to finish off. No surprises here. 11 games, 9 wins already. PSG at eight points clear. More of a shock. We can't believe how bad was Leon's start. Bottom half, manager sacked, a derby loss in the car. Shouts out Nantes, second place, another fairy tale. Keep an eye on that yellow house. How far could that ship sail? So there we are, the Pentagon around Europe's big five. And it's exciting to see the start of some title races live. We're across the board and for tuning in, gang, you have my thanks. Let's get into the heart of all this. Let's be our football ranks. Oh, lovely stuff, mate. You back, you back. Back. Bit long. Back at it. Bit long. <laughs> I like it, mate. People are crying out for these poems all around it's the important. world. And you're delivering. It's important. It's just... the winter season. Poetry, open fires, Guinness, scarves. Let's go. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And next to me in the studio are two football kings. Lord of the Melon, ear to the ground, name on the scene. It's Dean Jones. Hi, Jack. <laughs> and divider of Twitter, oligarch of order, god of rankings, Mr. Sam Tyner building. Give me any nickname you want. I want Lord of Melon. That's better. You can't have Lord of Melon. Have it, Lord I of Melon is beans and things <laughs> only. Let's get into hot takes. Sam, I'm going to start with you today. How about that? Okay. Arsenal fans who booed Granite Xhaka at the weekend as he trudged off the pitch. Uh, they've been vilified by parts of the media and looked down upon, I think, by other fan bases as well. But honestly, uh, given the situation and what's happened over the last few years, I probably would have booed him too. I, <laughs> I, reckon, I reckon I'd have booed him. 
I don't. I definitely can't say that I wouldn't have booed him. So I don't. I, it doesn't quite sit right with me that that everybody's going. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Everyone's looking down on those fans. Like if you had to watch Granite Xhaka play for your club for three years, you'd be annoyed as well. Like, I can't really believe I'm hearing this. I know. I'm just letting going. him finish. Yeah. It. I'm just letting him finish his point, and then I'm going. No, that's the point. I just. Don't, I just don't think. I just don't think it's fair to sort of faux insert yourself into that into that situation. Um, pretend you understand what that's about and also pretend that you would have total control over your emotions during a football game when everything's on the line. I just don't think that's fair. It's, it's one thing performing badly. He has reacted to a crowd booing him yep. and, and walked off the pitch and been like, why are you booing me? <laughs> you know, he's a captain. You shouldn't need to ask that question. Well, you need to, it's not about performance here. It's about someone's, you know, way of life. You know, he's not in there being like, I will be rubbish today, is he? Yeah, he's no. trying his best. Okay, let's, let's flip this around. More than anyone... You should understand how Granite Xhaka feels. Every week for how many years now? Five, six, seven years. You've put out rankings. And people abuse you. And people abuse you. And it's not right. You are trying your hardest to get this right. And most weeks you get it wrong. But you're there. You're trying (laughs) your best. And people, if they were in the room, would be booing you. Would be being horrible to you. And you probably would be telling them to F off. I'm quite, you should I'm have quite, more sympathy for Granite Xhaka. I'm quite, Xhaka, quite mild mannered. I don't think I'd tell anyone to f off. But I do think you should have some sympathy. You would throw your shirt angrily on the floor and storm down the tunnel. Last week you Not told us. Shirt. Not this shirt. Last week you told us you couldn't even bring yourself to look at Twitter because you knew you were getting abused. Yeah, but it's part of the game. I'm part of it too. And Granite Xhaka knows that when he performs in front of sixty thousand people every week, this is part of it, my friend. You've probably booed players. I've never you've booed pro- a player. You've probably booed players. The only time we've I've ever booed a player is when they, when, when they actually try to take the ball off another one of my players to take a penalty. That's yeah, so the, the only time. I like, could, to the detriment of my team. That's the only time when it was, there were other players in the team being like, don't do that, don't yeah. do that. This, look at Lucas Torreira's reaction. Look at it. The man, it moved to tears by the fact his, his captain is being vilified by his own fan base. You know, it's about more than that. And people... I've always said that Chakra is, while has his massive faults on the pitch, I'm not disagreeing with you at all on that one, mm. has always been someone that's tried to understand, you know, the, the Arsenal philosophy, tried to to get involved with project and be someone in the dressing mm. room that people look up to. And if you can't understand that, you know, as as a football fan, the, the, it's, it's unbelievable that people don't do that. It, it's really, it really It can't upsetting. be that he's this bad a person and footballer if Arsene Wenger's picking him and Unai Emery are picking him. Like, it can't be the case. Like, it might be that he's not producing what the Arsenal fans want to see every week. It might be that he is underperforming all the time. But he's not doing it on purpose. And if you're booing anyone, boo Unai Emery for picking him. Don't... Shaka's not going to be like, you've got to leave me out. Don't give me the armband. Like... Don't put me in this position. Man's like, captain of his club and that. his country. I mean, never do that. I mean, I mean, when you take the opportunity to boo to boo Xhaka in that scenario, you are you are also booing Unai Emery for starting him over and over again. It's not just about him, is it? It's the general frustration of their situation, and he becomes somewhat symbolic. But those boos aren't all for Xhaka. It's for the entire thing. But they've booed Xhaka before. This isn't the first time they've done it. This is Arsenal fan TV culture spilling over, boiling over, and reaching global audience like live during a game like that's never really happened before i think so, it's more than that i don't, I don't necessarily know, think it's arsenal town tv i think it's social media culture yeah i feel like people are so happy to to whack out criticism on social media that that is now spilling over into real life maybe but do you see man united fans doing the same thing to fred i haven't i haven't seen it to i haven't extent. seen it but, I haven't but that doesn't it. mean it hasn't like happened. the match going fan gent tends to be like they, they know fred's not good enough but they, i haven't heard anything like that on social media yeah he gets battered but 
I haven't heard it from the match going well, fan. It will take, it will take, to it will take longer to spill over in person, right? It would like it's much easier to do it from behind behind a wall on the internet. And the thing with Fred is like he hasn't given, been given that many opportunities. It's difficult to be that annoyed at him because he doesn't disappoint them on a weekly basis. Whereas Xhaka is different. Let me just end this on one point. Good to see some atmosphere at the Emirates for once. <laughs> <laughs> at least they care. Well, that is true. On that bombshell, Dean, on to you. Amazing news for everyone that's listening in America. Sergino Dest has declared for US MNT. Brilliant. I'm so pleased. Um, my son is half American. He's got his first hero now. He's saying yesterday, he's just started talking. He's yeah, saying, he's going to say about three words, and yeah. one of them is Dest. Dest, my hero, is what he was saying <laughs> last night. Um, and he obviously, like, my son's now got like ambition to replace him one day at fullback for no, your son's going to be a left back yeah they're going to be playing in tandem that's true maybe anyway while i am delighted i've got to say it's not the right decision he's going to regret this one day it's a hard decision it's it it's a really tough decision and i think even in his video announcement you can see that he's made it almost 100 percent on emotion and there's not a lot of logic involved in it and i think that um look snubbing the netherlands is a big deal. He's turned his back on one of Europe's great footballing nations. He's turned his back on the prospect of playing the same defence as Van Dijk and De Ligt. He's turned his back on playing at European Championships, potentially winning it. He's turned his back on ever having the chance to win a World Cup, which I heard him do an interview on another podcast, Scuffed Podcast. Go and listen to it if you get the chance. It's a really good interview he did back in January about his ambitions and what he hopes for. And he's like, I want to win the Champions League. I want to win the World Cup. Well, we can scrub one of those off because it's never going to happen now. Um, I understand. I do respect his decision because America gave him his chance on the international stage. He's built relationships with people and he's kind of bought into that culture and he's going to go with it right now. I just think from a sporting perspective, this decision is bizarre. And I just think when he gets like mid-20s, he's going to be like, oh. No, I'd be worried about playing, having to face competition from Kenny Tete. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe that's why he's made his decision because, you know, he's seen other right backs coming through the scene. That is the thing. You know, now he's, he's made that decision and there's been such a big deal around mm. this. You imagine that Sergio Des plays right back for the USA for the next 10 years. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, who's to say that in two years' time, someone doesn't come through from the Netherlands who is as good... You know, That's part a, a of being right an elite back. footballer, right? I, I, You've got to back I yourself to you. these people out. I don't think there will be. I'm not, I'm not saying that I think there's going to be a right back come through that's better than, than Dest for the Netherlands in the next three years. But it's plausible. And it's much more plausible than one coming through, I think, <laughs> from, from the US. Until my son. So, until your son comes through, yeah, of course. But I think he will be at retirement age by the time <laughs> that Dylan really makes it. But it is one of those things that... He's come through, he's made real like links with this team and, and we've spoke to some members of that team who have said they were pretty sure that he was going to declare they were, for yeah. the US because they you know, know him and have we been around him for so many years. <laughs> yeah. They had more confidence than we originally let on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's one of those where he's obviously got a group there that he feels comfortable with. They've yeah. done well in, in varying championships at, at varying levels and, and he now has something to kick on. There's a, a good group of American players there now, Sam. There is, yeah. The entire under-20... World Cup squad, basically. Um, I don't, like, can't, can't really get into Death's head here. He, he makes this decision and it, it's his decision. I don't know how he feels either way. Um, I don't judge people for that. But I would imagine that staying with that group of players was a pretty key part of it. Um, given how they managed to impress over the course of the summer and, of course, win that game against France as well, which kind of 
well, I wouldn't say shook the world, shook the world of people that were watching the Under-20 World Cup. Uh, so it's <laughs> me and two other dudes. Uh, <laughs> but it really, it, that, they, have a, they have a chemistry and they have a group of players there that I did believe that Des would want to stay part of. Because you hear him talk and he's pretty Dutch. Like, he is pretty Dutch. He's pretty Dutch. So I think a lot of people will be really, really surprised by this. Uh, but I echo what Dean said. I'm delighted. I'm really happy. It's good. It's a really good thing. It's a big win. It's good for the US. Look, they needed this. They needed this. Hopefully it gives them a boost because they're not in a good place right now with, you know, Bear Houters under big pressure, horrible defeat to Canada. They need to make up for that straight away. And I hope that it kind of gives them a pick-me-up. But, um, yeah, I, I just feel that, like, he's learned all his football in Holland. He's come through at Ajax. Like, I know that they weren't picking him at international level. Yes. But I just think that there's there's something to come back on this in a few years' time. Well, we will see. We will see. We'll, we will we'll see talk about it in four years. Okay, let's move things on to the third hot day. And this week's poll asks you what you wanted to hear about from three entertaining top four gate crashes. And I must say, Rank Squad, I am disappointed. Less <laughs> again, than 30% of you voted combined for Spain's great entertainers, Real Sociedad, and the ballers currently top of the Bundesliga, Borussia Mönchengladbach. But never say I'm not a man of the people, not above but equal, and for the greater good, I will walk amongst this evil. So it's a Premier League domination in the poll again, and it's Leicester City on the table. On Friday night, the Foxes romped to a record-equaling Premier League victory margin, beating Southampton 9-0 on their own patch, and they sit third in the Premier League table. At the moment, it looks like they're closer to Manchester City and Liverpool, than Chelsea and the chasing pack. And I just want to talk about this crop of youngsters coming through because there's a lot of talk about Chelsea's kids. But six of Leicester's starting 11 on Friday were 23 or under. And I think that's super interesting given that only four of Chelsea's team against Burnley were also under 23 to a comparison point. So there's obviously old heads guiding them, but I think Rogers is a really good blend going of youth experience. Schmeichel... Johnny Evans, Vardy, guiding a side that's scattered with upcoming prospects. And that's a good thing, Sam. It can, it can never be a bad thing, can it? Uh, you're securing your own future there. Leicester, Leicester's recruitment drive over the last few years has been incredibly impressive, um, sprinkling in a kind of mix of quality and youth, but not to the point where they just get overawed. Um, they've selected players with resale value or long-term benefits, but can also cope right now and improve the team. We sing the praises of Ricardo Pereira all the time on Every this podcast. Week, and look, actually, it was Ben Chilwell that shot to the fore in that game, in that 9-0. He was, he was incredible, um, as he often is. Such a powerful runner moving forward and such an impressive guy. Madison, obviously, the cream of the crop. Uh, but you go back into Ndidi, who's probably still quite underrated. Uh, all, th- all things said and done. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Soyuncu, just one of the revelations of the season. Like I didn't know he had this in him. He's so fun to watch. I really didn't know you he had this in him. don't say that much about centre-halves. But Soyuncu is lots of fun. Yeah, because he's, he's reckless. Yeah, like. he's like a wrecking ball. And then he has Johnny Evans going around after him. You're like, oh, I've got to clean this up again. Yeah, <laughs> though, it, it works. He's, he's, yeah, he's, a, he's, very, he's very good. It's such an exciting team. It's that the statistic with the under 23 players, more, more with Chelsea. Uh, didn't know that, didn't realise that until you said it. And it's very interesting that. Obviously, the narrative with Chelsea is slightly different because people have been baying for them to do this. Well, they're for also so all long. academy prospects as opposed to what the Leicester. Yeah, the Leicester so Leicester boys have are. largely bought them all. Uh, but just look, smart recruitment can get you a long way, and when smart recruitment dries up, it can send you plummeting towards the bottom. And see Southampton. Yeah, so the fr- <laughs> Friday night's result is is a perfect is a perfect picture of that. Southampton over the last few years have got their recruitment wrong, and they lost nine nil on the night to a team who've just got it oh so right. Who you say it was a record equaling uh, margin? It was, but it was also the long, the biggest away win ever. Massively, yeah, by uh, by something like three goals. Yeah, yeah. So 
Incredible stuff. Just, I think something that was thrown around a lot when Leicester won the title, Dean, was the word relentless. Uh, it was written on the side of the King Power Stadium. <laughs> and it's a word, there's a very sensible way of describing how they performed on, on Friday night. It would have been so easy to step off the gas at 5 nil up and yeah. a man up at half time, but they didn't. And that's really impressive. You know what? The way that they, they set out in that game, like the way they were keeping the ball, I don't even think it would have mattered if Southampton had kept 11 players on the pitch because Leicester were going to batter them that night. Like it wouldn't have been 9 0, obviously, but I think they'd have won 3 and I don't think Southampton would have got close to them because the way they were keeping possession and the way they were moving that ball around so quickly they were just shifting Southampton all over the pitch and they just couldn't get back into shape and it's so impressive the way that they they'll move the ball sideways but only briefly and then it's moved forward and it's so good to see Chilwell is so important to it the way that he gets down that left side is ridiculous um if Harry Maguire was moving for, what is it, £80 million in the end in the summer. Chilwell is going to be more than that because he's bringing a completely different dimension to the game. Not only can he defend, he's also bringing that whole new fullback into the um, equation. And look, Man City are really, really interested in Chilwell. And I think if they actually want to sign him, they're going to be looking at £90 million. Surely they're not going to pay that. But absolutely, like if Leicester held out like they did for Maguire... They're not going to let him go for less than that because he's such an asset. Why, same, why would they, right? Same yeah. in James Madison as well. Like, okay, like, there's been a lot of talk about what he's doing off the pitch, but when he gets on the pitch, like, it doesn't seem like there's any distractions. He's a brilliant footballer, like, so smooth on the ball. If Man United want him again, they're going to have to pay big money for him. And I think that that's the good thing from Leicester's point of view is that they're in such a strong position because all these players are so young. They're so valuable. So if they do move on, they're going to get ridiculous sums of money for them and they can replace them with good quality. They'll probably buy better players than the ones they yeah, they sell. <laughs> They're very, very good at that, aren't they? Dean, I imagine this might roll quite nicely into Melon of the Week. It's time for Melon of the Week. <laughs> this week's Melon of the Week. This is a mad melon. I've never seen anything like this before. Matisse Melon. What? Very rare and very hard to find in the UK until recently. Sounds like a Serie B-side. It looks like it's been already... <laughs> Um, like peeled. Yeah, it's incredible. Apparently very sweet in taste. And I was planning on having it for dessert tonight and then I found out it went off a couple of days ago. So probably not going to do that. Mm. Anyway. By the way, I asked for some feedback on the podcast the other day on Instagram and a couple of people came back and said that their least favourite thing of the pod is the voice you put on when you when you announced I don't even like, I don't even week. like it. I hate it. Yeah. It's but it's become, part of it now. It's become part it's of it. It's a bit like the nonsense siren. It just has to exist. This now. week's Melons of the Week, <laughs> sponsored by the Matisse Melon. Yes, I said Melons, because it's Southampton Football Club. Plot twist. I am going to slice this into 15 pieces. <laughs> One for every player that took part in that game for Southampton, including Armstrong, who only played 20 minutes. He's part of this. And the manager... Ralph Hasenhutl gets a big piece. What a bunch of melons. Oh. Like, you can't lose a game of football 9-0 at home. At halftime, you get into that dressing room, you're like, I don't care what else happens in this football match, you do not concede another goal. Like, that's just all, that's all you have to say. Did you see that meme that went round of that Turkish team where the manager went around slapping everyone in the face? Yes. yes. He might have done that at halftime because they deserved <laughs> it. We should have done that at halftime. It would they have deserved that. More likely he didn't do he that. He probably did, but if he didn't, needed. he should have. He was like, we can tie this up, lads. If they can score five in the first <laughs> half, we can score five in the second. I wanted to pick out just one player and it was just like Bertrand for the red card, Yoshida for just playing like a mug. But 
at the end, I just couldn't separate it all. So it's just that everyone attached to Southampton Football Club is getting a melon. Yeah. Slice a melon. Uh, it's very difficult to argue hard. with this. I mean, obviously, Shaka, like everyone's messaging me on, on Instagram saying, Shaka's got to be melon of the week. Nah. Yeah. Nah, yeah. nah. There was a bigger melon. Well, there were 15 of them. 15 melons in Southampton. 15 Southampton. huge melons in <laughs> Southampton. Well, thank you, Dean. And thank you to the Matisse melon for making yeah. a debut appearance. I'm like, honestly, the colouring of this melon is, is blowing my head. It's like, it's like white. It's crazy, man. Where is it from again? Like, it's from... It, says, it looks like it's from like Portugal. Well, it's from Brazil, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brazilian yeah. melons. I think it's Brazil, yeah. Excellent. It says Melau Especial on it. Genuinely very I hard to translate that if you like, I'm fluent. Special melon. Special Pay melon. big money for that. <laughs> yeah, big money signing for the Rang Squad, the Matisse melon. Right, <laughs> we will be back after the break to play a game of stick or twist with Europe's most under-fire managers, talking pressure, replacements and results. So make sure you don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it is time for this week's big ranking. Not so much a ranking, actually, this week, Sam. We know we're playing stick or twist with managers, but would you like to fill in the details for us? Yeah, so I just picked the, the, the five most under-pressure managers at the top level of football. Therefore, the big names, the big clubs, the big situations. And rather than rank them, because it just felt mean, uh, I've just gone with them alphabetically. So we have picked a top five, but we're going to go alphabetically. We're just going to talk about each situation and I'm going to play stick or twist, i.e. would I fire them were I in charge? Just for the record, I'm actually not in charge of any football clubs. Um, Theoretical or, director of football, I love this. Or would I stick with them? Uh, and if I decide to fire them, I have also lined up some replacements that I would, I, I would, I would call in mm-hmm. for the interview. Excellent. Uh, we're going to start with Emery. Unai Emery. That's oh. literally a U. Yeah, but, oh. <laughs> but Emery's a E. Oh, okay, we're going surname alphabet. Surname alphabet. Okay, yeah, Un- Unai Emery. Um, of, Ars- <laughs> of Arsenal that's a bad start <laughs> uh, right he's a proper mess we've already talked about Xhaka yeah let's not and, talk about and it. the rights and wrongs of it whatever but Xhaka has become a symbol of, of the disgruntlement at Arsenal uh, from the fans and they're not happy with how basically it kind of feels like this team haven't really changed a jot since Arsene Wenger st- stood down um, the away form is still really bad. Obviously, one win in the Premier League away from home this season only. They're quite a soft team. It still feels like they've got a very soft underbelly. Every now and then they storm forward with a nice performance. Maybe Genduzi turns up one weekend. Maybe Aubameyang saves their bacon another. But generally speaking, this team don't feel like they've got it together. And the fans are getting to the point where they're, they're kind of sick of Emery for a number of reasons. But chief among them, I think, as well, is the fact that he changes formation every 25 seconds. Um, he can't decide on any single shape or approach. He always talks about how he wants to produce a, a high-pressure uh, attacking style, uh, but very rarely seems to be able to implement that for more than a 20-minute spell. Yep. Sometimes he'll change formation successfully mid-game. It starts to work, and he'll change back out of it for no reason at all. We don't really feel like we've seen anything close to the potential that Lacazette, Aubameyang and Pepe can offer as a three. And it was so frustrating against Sheffield United. Where I know he missed the sitter, but Nicolas Pepe looked like he was starting to find his second and third gear. He really looked like, he, he looks like the most dangerous player on that pitch. Yeah, absolutely. He took him off. And this is, this is, this is where the, these things start to build up because Ozil is a whole different situation. How much of fault Emery is there, I don't know. It might even be only half his fault with the board and how they're trying to maybe 
get him to leave, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, you wrote a piece, didn't you, saying that they're basically trying to get him to hand they're in a transfer? They're basically trying to get him to hand in a transfer request, yeah. Is that just to get out of paying him money and stuff? Absolutely, yeah. It's Cheers. mad, isn't it? Just like, it's such a strange situation. Mesut Ozil, yeah. desperate to get him out of the football but, but club. But really didn't, didn't even make the 18. I feel like it's probably a point of no return. However... I don't think Arsenal will pull the trigger on this in terms of a mid-season change unless it gets actually quite a lot worse. I yeah. don't think they're the club that does that. And then if you could fill in the, the blanks on it, great. They might. And the only time they're going to do it is if they are so far cut adrift of the top four that the board decide there's no point in carrying this on because... I don't think anyway he'll continue beyond this season. I don't think Emery will be It's the end of a contract, but they have the option they have of extension, option. right? So I don't think they'll take that option as it stands. And from what I'm told, they're happy to go along with it. Like, they're still four points off of fourth, as, as we record this. Um, so they're still in with a shout, obviously, of, of qualifying for the Champions League. As soon as that starts to look like it's not going to happen. So you're thinking, like, second half of the season, once you're kind of, like, eight points behind, I'm guessing, like, something like that. If. You're like, if. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I, that strikes me about Emery is that we're, what, 17 months into an Emery campaign in like three four months we've seen Lampard work out what his team is you know give them an identity and put it forward similar with Rodgers I know it's been since March so seven eight months but you know three months of actually watching them play football Mm. you know exactly what Leicester are about you know you know what his starting 11 are you know how they're going to play football there is none of that Mm. at Arsenal there is every time you wait for an Arsenal lineup to drop it's very much like what we're going to see here Could today. Emery Bingo, yeah. to coin a phrase. You see him pick a line up and you're like, don't know what he's doing. Not surprised yeah. at all. So this is where I, this is why I say, I, I personally would twist. I think Arsenal will stick and, and for reasons that sort of Dean has basically said, I think they will stick. But I, I personally would twist because, you know, basically on, on Monday, I produced an article on BR, which you can read on the website or on the app, which is the 10 best managers out of work. And looking through that list of managers, I was like, okay, you always need a plan, right? If you're going to decide to move on from a manager, you need to have a good idea of where you're going next. And Max Allegri is available. Jose Mourinho is available. Ralph Rangnick is like overseeing like the development of sport for Red Bull in Brazil. Like, get this guy a proper job. <laughs> he is brilliant. And even Marcelino from Valencia recently, recently fired. Like, yeah, track, track record is absolutely superb. If we criticise or I criticise Arsenal for having a soft underbelly and not having an identity, Marcelino, who is obviously the most achievable of all of those names, he would give you that identity and that soft core would disappear within seconds. He'd probably buy Francis Coquelin back and have him play at, play at Arsenal and play well. Like, these are, the, these are the kind of managers who are out there right now. They couldn't be interviewed. And they could do a better job. I don't think Max Allegri would take this job. I think if you could convince Max Allegri to take the Arsenal job, then you have a, a, a case to twist. I, I don't think Emery's doing a particularly good job. I, I don't really rate him in this role. I think he does have a, a place where he will fit, but I don't think it's at Arsenal. But on all of those things, unless they have someone who is visibly much better lined up, mm-hmm. I wouldn't twist Emery and just put Freddie Jungberg in charge, no. which it seems to be what the kind of idea is and I know Dean will probably have a little bit more to say on that but people people are suggesting that that is the way forward I just can't see that being the answer no it's not the answer I mean, you're right people are suggesting it I think that it's just because they're looking for some identity probably more than anything is it this just the Solskjaer conundrum it's the Solskjaer Lampard yeah. situation and it's just like okay well give us something we're familiar with and give us our identity back give it gigsy to the end of the yeah. season also, is, like, is that mentality the second, the, the, the second favourite for the job when Emery took it was Mikel Arteta who went through the interview, interview process and it was between those two people and obviously people see him on the sideline with Guardiola and they think of what could be he's also a former player 
He's learned. He's learned his trade under Guardiola. That one makes more sense. It than makes more sense. Fair. It's still a bit romantic to a point. It is, but this is how, this is how these things work when football fans want change. Yeah, I mean, people said it was romantic when Guardiola took over at Barcelona. It was, yeah, and it, but it worked. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that Arteta is the answer, but I think it'd be a more sensible shout than Lundberg. Should we move this on? Yeah, all right. Moving on in the same alphabetical way, Pochettino, comma Mauricio, to stop you shouting at me, who manages Tottenham Hotspur. That's Poch, for those that know him. Uh, also a proper mess. North London's a complete mess right now, isn't it? Um, with Poch, feels like almost everything that could have gone wrong this season has gone wrong. Um, you've got players losing form. You've got players due to injury losing a bit. Like, uh, like Tottenham fans don't want to hear it, but Harry Kane, I think, has lost five or ten percent. He's at least lost a yard of pace. And it's, it's okay to say that without that being a massive criticism. So do calm down if you've already got riled up. But it, it's, it's, it's one of several problems here. Players losing dedication. Players they wanted to sell, they can't shift. So many contractual issues coming up at the end of the year. We could easily see a proper changing of the guard, a, an end of a cycle. Ericsson, he's going to go. Vertonghen, Alderweireld, one or two of those might go. Danny Rose, this is probably the end of the line for him. Well, they tried to sell him once. Yeah, they, this, they, are, they, are, they are caught. Three times a lady. Three times a rose. <laughs> <laughs> they are caught uh, in, the middle of a, in the middle of a season that is also the end of a cycle. And it's just really difficult to manage in those, in those circumstances. Pochettino is currently catching flack for some questionable 11s and some questionable tactics, which is fair. Um, he keeps bringing players that, play, that fans believe are being either, either should be or are being phased out of the team, those contractual issues like Ericsson. He brings them back in randomly and then takes them back out again. The weekend and Dombele didn't start. People went, people went mad. And this sort of thing, it does, it builds. And I have seen a fair few calls for Spurs to let Pochettino go. Yeah, if the end of the, it's more like the end of the cycle also coincides with the end of Poch's cycle. It's, yeah. it's the kind of yes, argument I've seen. But I think that would be a huge mistake. Oh, agreed. I mean, absolutely stick uh, with Mauricio Pochettino. He's one of the best managers in the world. Whoever you appoint will be a downgrade, no question. And if you are on the verge of a rebuild, well, have a think about who did you last one so well. Pochettino. If there's a manager I want to rebuild a team in his image, great. But there's also no getting away from the fact that Tottenham are actually quite boring to watch right now. Um, they don't press the way they used to. They're not energetic in the way they used to be. Deli Ali uh, is one of several young players that have come through, established themselves, and then seem to have just lost a 5 or a 10%, and that has to be a concern. Maybe those fans think that the only way to really rev this back up again is to get a new set of instructions, a new face, and a new voice in control of those players but I wouldn't roll that. I wouldn't roll that dice. Like I, I wouldn't do that. That's too much of a risk for me. This is a mess, but I would ride it out. Yeah, no, I think you're probably just about right. I was talking to Ricky Sachs from Last Word on Spurs podcast at the weekend, and he said that the problem is that most of the back line they've tried to sell yeah. at some point. Ori has already come out and been like, if I could have left, I would have because of lack of competition. Vertonghen and Alderweireld have both been up for sale, basically. Rose, they tried to sell to Watford on the last day. It's a transfer window. You know, that's their back four. Yeah. You can't try and sell your entire back four. They're all there like, hang on, you tried to get rid of us. Why would we, why would we be putting 100% in for the shirt? There's not much harmony point. there. And I think that that's probably Tottenham's biggest issue. It's not that they're going to sack him. It's the threat of Pochettino walking away from this situation. And I think that it's not helped at all by the fact that they are now being filmed for an Amazon documentary. <laughs> so <laughs> everything is now amped up 10 times because Pochettino does not want cameras around him 24 seven especially not at a time like this he 
I saw his quotes from a press conference the other day talking about how the fact, of course, it worries me. You know, it's I feel like Spielberg. Um, you know, I said I said I'm no longer a manager. I'm a coach. Now I'm also a director of a docu- TV documentary. Um <laughs> And I think it, it's an issue. Uh, I don't know what genre they're going to put this documentary in under. Comedy, uh, horror. Comedy, or otherwise. <laughs> Could be horror. Um, we'll find out at the end of the season. But I don't know if Pochettino will be there at the end of the season because I can see that this documentary is going to get some really, really tasty stuff in, the, in January because this something has to happen in January because Tottenham need to suddenly get their act together and by then be changing direction and be actually pushing up towards the top three. Or they need some big additions. And if that's not happening, you might even get a case where Pochettino's future is on the line and he's got cameras literally filming him leaving the training ground. It's going to be weird. It doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would enjoy that at all. What what, what a big shame that the cameras did not enter the dressing room until uh, this weekend just gone. Therefore, missing the 7-2 with Bayern because I would have I would have liked to see the aftermath okay let's move this one onwards who's next Sam? Solskjaer comma Oli Gunnar manager of Manchester United Football Club club legend good week for United yeah has to be said yeah because we okay. don't say it often because they don't have good weeks done all right at the time of recording they've just beaten Norwich and several days before they beat Partizan in Partizan never an easy place to go what Partizan yeah <laughs> or Belgrade both <laughs> It's never I've been really, to that stadium. It's, it's nuts. Yeah, I bet. It, it, it's, yeah, it was good. It wasn't a very convincing win, obviously, but it was a win. Um, by the time you listen to this, you may have, you may, they may have played Chelsea in the cup. Chelsea may have exacted their revenge or United may have piled on their misery. But it doesn't matter what happens midweek. This is, this is a, we're all, we're, we're, we, we, are, we, are, we are on record with Solskjaer. It's, it's not a good situation. Um, no. There's, there's the odd shoot of recovery then it disappears or is trampled over by the opposition on the way to a, on the way to a victory. Um, again, it's a case of fans are starting to get a little bit disgruntled. Um, in the stadium, I think they're probably still largely supportive because he is a legend, but that's that's United fans through and through, isn't it? They, they will support their club legend for sure. But, on, fair but, play to them. Yeah, fair play. But uh, I think quietly everyone's like, oh God, it's coming, isn't it? It's coming. If it's not this month, it's next month. It's, I think... I, I would I would not stick with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I would I would twist. Would you twist now? I'd twist. Yeah, yesterday. Yes, yeah, I'd twist yesterday. I'd twist yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as physically possible. Okay, right. Um, I'm going to need replacements if you're uh, if you're going to be replacing Ole Solskjaer. Well, I would not give Jose Mourinho the job again. But Max Allegri, if if you could convince Max Allegri to take this job, and I do think he'd be more likely to take this job than than someone like Arsenal. I agree. Um, I think Allegri. It, it definitely wouldn't improve the football in terms of the the aesthetics. Don't be tricked into thinking that Allegri is going to swashbuckle his way into your heart, but he will get you wins. Like he coaches a seriously mean team. He coaches a really physical midfield. He's an excellent man manager. His trophy cabinet is ridiculous. His resume is ridiculous. And again, he was that he was that manager who you know Milan moved on from him, thinking they could do better. And Milan Milan made a huge mistake and they there. Fell apart. And you know. We'll, we'll see what happens with Juventus. I know Dean keeps talking about how they're going to win the Champions League under Sarri. I'm not quite convinced. Um, but scrolling again through the uh, through the list of names in my thing, Ralph Rangnick again. I think if you gave him the keys, I think he'd do a really good job. 
So I'd give it, I'd give it to Rangnick. I'd love to see Spalletti take the reins at Old Trafford. I think he might explode after three months. I think everyone months. might explode. I think it could be a case of Mourinho 2.0 if Spalletti gets the reins. That's the only worry I'd have. Do you think, I'm not do sure. you think Allegri could, could handle it? Because yeah, I, I do. I think Allegri has the head to handle that kind of thing. Look, he's, he's managed most of Italy's biggest clubs. They're honestly all a bit chaos, aren't they? Yeah. And you'd imagine that Old Trafford is similar. He's gone in there. He's won games. He's turned around fortunes. I, I think that Max Allegri is the obvious obvious candidate for this job especially if they're going to sign Mandzukic because those, uh, those two go hand in hand yeah agreed. sign Mandzukic now ahead of January and then appoint Allegri December 31st off you go lads obviously a few weeks back I said that the Oli out campaign was going to begin they lose to Newcastle and the Oli out campaign did start it really did rev up but since that Newcastle defeat they've drawn with Liverpool they've beaten Partizan they've beaten Norwich and suddenly the there's a bit of relief for Solskjaer they're judging him on a game-to-game basis so Based on the last three results, he's fine right now. The way United have now got a front three that's actually finding some rhythm, I think that this is when you have to give Solskjaer a chance. He's finally got Martial playing through the middle. He's got Rashford out on the left, and he's got Daniel James right. Like, let's see how they do. Like, obviously, Pogba's still not going to be there, but... Ruled out till December this week. Yeah. Are we ever going to see Paul Pogba? Maybe not, but this is as close as we're getting to seeing United at their strongest. So let's give Solskjaer a few weeks with this lineup. Okay, Sam, shift this one on again. Yeah, I will, because I'm not in charge. Valverde, Ernesto. Very good. Barcelona manager. I've got my alphabet right, haven't I? You have, yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, So it's between Emery and Valverde for least popular manager with their own fans. I reckon. Uh, Emery jumped ahead this week, but for the last month or so before that, I reckon Valverde had that crown. He'd absolutely nailed it. Uh, Barcelona's crisis is always worth putting into context. They're second in La Liga, top of their Champions League With a game in hand. With a game in hand. Top of their Champions League group. They scored the second most goals in La Liga. So, Things are looking really rough, guys. Really, (laughs) really rough. Um, No, standards standards are very high at the Camp Nou, and this has been a very, very rocky start. Like, the expectations over Barcelona when you signed Griezmann and Frankie de Jong, man, they, sky, they skyrocket and they didn't start well. But that's mostly because Messi was out. Like a lot of these issues they've had, teething issues with Griezmann, defensive errors, a slight decline of Longley and PK from last season, some slightly unappealing football to watch while Frankie found his rhythm and yeah. ended up on the left, left wing at certain points. They thought he was Iniesta for a bit, isn't Yeah, and Griezmann on the left, were, you know, and him looking at Alba going, why are you on my flank? And Alba going, well, who the hell are you? This has been my flank for seven years. <laughs> you know, that All of those things, they have generally kind of been ironed out, more yeah. or less. And with Messi coming back in, it'll obviously just get a lot better. Look, when the best player in the world misses a set of games, then you are going to struggle. I know the whole summer was geared towards trying to relieve your reliance on Messi, but it doesn't just happen. It doesn't like, happen overnight. It doesn't just happen like that. Absolutely not. Um, Messi's back. They'll be fine. Um, this is a, this is a tight call because he's unbelievably unpopular, Valverde. He is, yeah. If the fans had their way, probably be gone. But yeah. I, but I, I think that in Barcelona's position, if you can't, if you can't, if you don't, if there's not a guy out there that you can appoint who will enhance your chances of winning the Champions League this season, it probably is not worth pulling the trigger. No, I completely probably agree. not worth pulling the trigger. Probably it, not worth the upheaval. This is an unpo- It's going to be an unpopular opinion. Um, Valverde is a class act on a personal level. Mm. Uh, you know, as a as a bloke, he's yeah. very, very, you know, understated. He's calm. And he's under a lot of pressure. Everyone in that hot seat is always under a lot of pressure. But he's been vilified by his own fan base and he's dealt with it immaculately almost. Yeah, really. You know, impressed. he's never he's never snuck back. He's never, you know, kicked out. 
It's just like we're doing our jobs and that's going to be that. And like you say, there's not a massive crisis at Barcelona. I think the problem is they've become a little bit agricultural. That's a good word for them. Yeah, they, yeah. they just sort of attritionally grind out results now, which is not something that they're used to doing. Yeah, it's yeah. just a different standard, isn't it, basically? Of course. When you start a football manager save, you have a meeting with the board and the chairman and he, he instills philosophies and you have to agree to them or ask to change them. And sometimes you have to dictate a playing style. That happens at Barcelona. Valverde walked into that meeting and probably said, yeah, I'll play good football. Like, you have to say that. And he obviously hasn't. They're much more defensively solid than they ever have been. They release the ball to the opposition a lot more. Their average possession percentages are down. They don't flick it around with the, the panache they used to, though, to be fair, they don't have Xavi and Iniesta anymore. But they win. And they win games. They win, they win games. And um, are, they, are, they, are they Champions League contenders for this season still? Yeah. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, they are. So this 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 should be fine. I think I'd, until Eric Ten Hag is ready to take the Barcelona job, you should probably keep Valverde in there. So yeah. if they absolutely pulled the trigger, I would say Kike Setien yeah, should be in charge of Barca. But I don't think that's a move that I would make. Like genuinely, if I was if I was in control, of that I situation. love Setien more than most, right? But. If you put Setien in, you immediately lose your defensive solidity. You start experimenting with weird formations. Yes, you play delightful football and it's great fun. But you start winning games 4-3 mm-hmm. and 5-4. And, and, and yeah. much as they like they that like kind that of thing, more. but you don't want to be conceding four goals at home against but the in Spain, in Spain, it's the common consensus seems to be that Ronald Koeman will be the man that follows him in. I mean, that, that's been touted around for a while now. That was a good little move. I like Seems that. to Seems to be what a lot of people believe would happen next. Not Ten um, Hag. Not Ten Hag, but I do definitely think Ten Hag is, is in the conversation here. And I think that it would be a great move for him. I think the only thing, I think it could be a slight risk putting him in that environment. I think people really underestimate how much pressure managers are under like I can't even begin to imagine what it is like to be the manager of Barcelona it is relentless not only picking your team dealing with the board dealing with the fans dealing with the press like it's non dealing with your wife it's (laughs) non-stop and you know putting that into perspective I hadn't considered it really more props to Valverde for just kind of shrugging along with it like the way he deals with things he's just so calm and serene for the most part must be must be really hard. Yeah, must be really really Absolutely. hard. Right, so the we're last sti- we're one. St- we're sticking, we're on, sticking Valverde. on Valverde. Last one on the list. Then the last one on the list is alphabetically correct, regardless of which name I start with, because his <laughs> initials are the same. So I'll just I'll just I name wonder him. who this might be. It's <laughs> it's Zinedine Zidane, who is the manager of Real Madrid. He is. Um, so Real Madrid starts the season a bit worse than Barca's, but like not a total mess. Mess, but like not great. And Zidane's been under pressure since he retook the job earlier this year. Well, basically, this 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 has been going on for a while. Um, he's been hanging on a little bit, I think, or, or, or ducking the criticism this season because up until recently he'd put together an unbeaten La Liga start. Then they lost to Mallorca. They did. And then you start, and then you remember. Well, actually, he's they've drawn too many games. They got battered by PSG in the Champions League, like battered, uh, and they really struggled as well against Bruges at home yeah. like really struggled and they've had lots of players are out of form the same thing you said about Emery's Arsenal in terms of not seeming to have much of a direction or an identity or a plan I would say Real Madrid are quite similar I'm still not 100% sure what he wants to do other than just play the same midfield three and hope it works like it used to there, there, there hasn't been enough there for me in terms of a clear direction forward yeah. all the pieces are there they just need someone strong enough 
to put them together in the right way and shrug off a bit of the criticism if he has to. Are you sticking or twisting? I'm twisting. You're twisting. I'm so who are you replacing Zinedine with Zidane? Yeah. So I think the popular choice here is Jose Mourinho 2.0. Um, again, we talk about an ability to, to handle the situation, the pressure cooker of the Bernabeu, similar to Barcelona and to Manchester United. You have to be a certain, you have a certain mental strength and wherewithal to deal with it, and Jose has that. But my really rogue shout is a man who has been completely forgotten from the conversation. Laurent Blanc. I knew you were going to say this because I've read your article. Yeah, cool. But it was, um, so, I, I thought it was interesting. I would like you to explain. So Blanc, um, it's been a while since he's been a manager. I think it's been three or four years. He left PSG and hasn't taken another job since. He's admitted that he's not a builder of teams. He likes to take over a club that is basically 90% of the way there and just apply the finishing touches and off we go, which is basically where Real Madrid are. The talent level they have at their disposal is incredible. They just need to harness it properly. Blanc basically produced a triple treble uh, in France with PSG and he won a league on title with Bordeaux before that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The Euros didn't really go that well for France, but they did lose to Spain, the unstoppable Spain. So whatever. He's been pretty picky about his jobs, I think, which is why he's still there. But apparently he was in the running for the Lyon job, according to reports. Which makes me think, ah, he's had enough of golf and he wants to come back and play. Yeah, maybe he, he, was, has to, played, he was back in. He, he was played a lot, in the game. He's again. played a lot of golf recently, uh, last three years, which is fair. Well, they just mean to get on really well with Gareth Bale, which is an important part of harnessing Real Madrid's talent. <laughs> Dean, what do you reckon on this one? Swick, stick was, I think stick, to be honest, because I don't think it's that bad. And I think in, a, in this league this season, I think they'll get through it. Like, they're going to be in the title race. They could easily win it with Zidane in charge and then deal with it at the end of the season. Do you think they can topple Granada? <laughs> I don't know if Mourinho's the answer. You know, I don't. I don't. And I think that, I don't know that, if he is that, that you know, while Blanc might make more sense when you take a step back, like it's unlikely that that's the route they would go down. So, mm. Mourinho probably is something they're going to consider. And no, <laughs> my, my rogue suggestion for Real Madrid is that they do a manager swap with PSG because ah. I think Tuchel would do an absolute job. Yeah. at Real Madrid yeah, would, and I yeah. think that Zidane might actually be what PSG need yeah, it is just that team of superstars that they used to have, manager, yeah. uh, who can just probably kick him a little bit into gear and yeah. obviously in his native France I quite like it one of the best things you've ever said to be fair yeah. I quite like it. swapped illnesses in this summer I don't see why that can't just apply to managers <laughs> right that is all we've got time for on uh, the main rankings which weren't really a ranking but stick or twist it's been a lot of fun Sam and we'll be back after the break with Roulette and the nonsense rankings stick with us Welcome back, Rank Squad. It is time for this Wheel of Fortune. Sam, do you want to give her a spin? Okay. Is the quality of football worse today than 10 years ago? Well, <laughs> it's a pretty, yeah. I it, mean, depends, it depends, I suppose, what you mean. I mean, you look at the old, the old highlights from like 2003 like, and like 1995. You look at the pitches, you look at the passes, you look at the tackles and you think those guys were all clearly amateurs. Um, but 10 years ago... Barca, Barca redefined yeah. football with Pep Guardiola and Messi. There's no team right now that's anywhere near as good as the 2009 version of Barca. But it's I a, guess at a median level... The general level of quality has gone up. The, the question I would ask maybe is maybe more poignant is, is it more entertaining or less entertaining than it was 10 years ago? Because there was it, all those... Like, if you put it that 10 to 15 year bracket, you know, there was the great AC Milan teams. They, yeah. they, these teams were well exciting. Yeah, they I had think, loads I, of fun. Ronaldinho was just messing about with the football... There was loads of fun stuff going on. I think it's less entertaining and less exciting now than it was 10 years ago. Okay. I, I really do think that. I think, I think the, 
as much as we all want to see our teams play like fluid possession football, uh, when you don't quite get it going, but you just keep the ball for ages, which is a lo- what, what a lot of teams do. They, they keep a lot of the ball, but with like zero penetration. There isn't that much end-to-end quality. Yeah. And when you do get those occasional games breaking out, they are thrilling. They really, really are. That's why the MLS playoffs have been so good. Yeah. Because there's basically no defending. It's just one end to the other constantly. What you're asking for is complete tactical ill-discipline. Yes. And there's just not enough people out there. People care way too much about tactics these days, don't they? I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Dean, do you think it's more or less exciting? Oh, the old days were much better. We used to whack it. Yeah, but Stick it be- in the mixer. Yeah, Wallop. That's before Goal. That's before the World War. No, it doesn't count before How the heavy World were those War. balls? They were heavy, mate, especially if you caught them on the laces. <laughs> Bean kicked a pig's bladder once. Absolutely. Right, go again. Would you rather keep all technology, VAR, goal line technology, etc., or bin it all off forever? Oh, it's a big question. Um, Topical. Um, all technology, like... Just not just those, but other things as well, like camera feeds. No, no not, camera feeds. not camera feeds. <laughs> like just all technology in the game. Yeah, so it's like affected, like yeah, showing replays in the in the grounds, like yeah, goal line technology, VAR. I guess at the moment, like, I'd bin it all off forever. I would absolutely keep it. I'm complete opposite end of the spectrum. Keep it and make more of it. Oh, bin off, bin off refs. Games are taking hours. Bin off refs and give it all to the cameras. Oh my days. Right. But change the rules. I've always said this. If you're going to put all this technology in, which I completely agree with, the rules have to be adapted to, for a technological age. You can't have the rules that are in the 80s no. being played out with VAR because it doesn't make sense without the offside rule and stuff. You need yeah, to redefine all that. Sense anymore, yeah. But that's what I would do. I'd redefine it all and just make you know, more technology. That's well like complicated. Um, I think, I think we should rest... have umpires call and like reviews and stuff. That'd be well fun. I think the refs need to hit the books, don't they, and learn the rules as well. Like, the rules are not adapted for modern technology, but also the referees don't know the damn rules, do they? They just don't know well, what's do. going on after the time. Are you, gonna, are you binning off the technology or are you keeping it? Uh, I'm going to keep technology. I can't do that in my replays. I'm okay. getting rid of it, yeah. I think, I think getting rid of goal line technology would be a disaster. Yeah, I completely I don't think how bad VAR has been out, outweighs that. I just don't. I think it's funny when like people are offside and it counts. <laughs> <laughs> I actually get more satisfaction well, like now scoring a goal like than the first like, LAFC goal. Yeah. Even with VAR. They exactly. Didn't didn't give it it. If I ever scored a goal and I knew I was offside, I'd just have a little chuckle to myself on the way back to the halfway line. Okay. Lovely stuff. Who's the best player you've ever played with? And describe why they're good. I'm going to throw this one to Dean Jones because I know that Dean played with some players. Played with. Well, I played with um, a couple of few that made it professional. Jamie Mackey probably did the best. He ended up playing for QPR and he scored actually in that game when Man City won the league with that late Aguero goal. So I used to play up front with him. Actually, um, we were in the same team. And I remember our manager, like it was out of the two of us really to break through to the, to this team. Like we were like 18, 19. And uh, it was like, you got to hit the weights. And I was like, nah. It's like... <laughs> I was like, I'd really like going out. Like, I haven't got time for this. Um, so I didn't do it. Jamie Mackey took it much more seriously. And, he did, um, didn't he? Yeah, then things went pretty well for him. <laughs> he did okay. And then. here I am. And here we are. Here I am. Uh, but played against, I played against uh, Steve Sidwell, played against Leon Britton. They were, they were actually playing for the same team, actually, at the time. And It seems a bit unfair. Yeah, mate, they batted teams in our local area. Like, they were good. Fair enough. Sam? Well... It's the same answer for for and against, because as I've told you probably 150 times, Jack, I've scored a brace against Neil Etheridge you have. in an inter-school game. 
uh, in, in junior school. So that's like ages like seven to 11 for those that don't know. Uh, but he also, he was on my team. He was on my, my local team, Heart Boys, uh, for two or three years. We played like under eight, under nine, under 10 level. We absolutely battered everyone we came across. It used to be that we used to play, uh, we divide a full size pitch into three and you play like six aside or seven aside and you used to play all three. So you play the three teams and you'd add up all of the cumulative scores at the end. And we very frequently won around 42-3 or something like that. It was an absolute joke. And my individual team of seven or six was excellent because Neil Etheridge, who is now Cardiff City's goalkeeper and played in the Premier League last year, he was in goal. So it was very, very hard for the opposition to score. Yeah, that's why. Well, all of your team six foot six. Yeah, we're all just really, really tall. Um, I played five aside once with Matthew Briggs, who I believe is Fulham's oh. youngest ever player in the, in the Premier League. Big lad. Um, but one of the one of the best players, I think the best player I ever played with, um, kind of regularly, was a guy at my school. Uh, it's called Albert Owusu Answer, and he played in the Fulham Academy. And when we were like 11, he was playing in the under 15s. And so he used to play occasionally for school, but basically he wasn't really allowed because he played for Fulham. And when Nike signed their first football athletes in the UK, they signed Aaron Lennon and Albert. Oh, they were wow. the only two players signed. Uh, unfortunately, knee injuries and all took, his, took their toll. Um, oh, and he, sort of got, he was on football manager for a couple of years, and, but he ended up um, not playing for Fulham. So that was sad. But I believe he was captain of Loughborough Uni at the end. And oh, nice. I he believe that he was very good. Yeah. He was a very, very good footballer. One of Fulham's kind of was going to be stars and, and never quite got there. But, you know, shouts out. About, about four of my Heart Boys team made it onto football manager at one point. I'm, sadly, I wasn't one of them. <laughs> you, no, we know you were. I was on football manager. Yeah, but only as a pundit. As a You've been on FIFA as well. You're actually, you've actually done quite well for I'm, yourself I'm, in the video game I'm circuit. also on football manager as a guest manager in one of these uh, slightly stranger alternate game modes. Uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I, manage, I manage at Bleacher Report Stadium. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> That is the nonsense siren. Sam, over to you. What have you got for us this week? So this week uh, we learned that Jurgen Klopp has a very, very good nickname for Fabinho. He calls him Dyson, uh, which for those of you that are unfamiliar with UK brand names, that is a vacuum cleaner or hoover. I guess the suggestion is he hoovers everything up or he cleans everything up. Very fitting. Very good. Very good. Well done, Jurgen. That's funny. Also, you know, can't help... It's like Jürgen is just handing me nonsense rankings at this point. Like He must know that when he says that stuff, I immediately walk into my kitchen and start pointing at things and shouting footballers' names. Girlfriend was very confused last night. But I've picked three footballers <laughs> as household appliances in honour of Fabinho as Dyson the Hoover. Okay, let's get it. Uh, so we're going to start with the fridge freezer. Very reliable. Uh, it's the only thing you don't turn off at the wall when you go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so you trust it implicitly. It keeps all of your essential products like food and milk. And you cannot really go without a fridge freezer. Much like Frank Lampard during his playing days. He was always there. He never got injured. He always came through with the goods. Yeah. And you could trust him. You could rely on him. Even if everybody else was turned off, Frank Lampard was switched on. <laughs> so yeah. Lampard, very, very is, Lampard is the fridge good. freezer. Yeah. At two, we have the microwave. Look, ideally, you don't use the microwave. Uh, you cook from scratch, use fresh ingredients, maximize flavor, make it a community effort, make it something you do with the family, teach your kids. But there are times when you can't avoid using the microwave. Uh, you're running out of time. You don't have time to cook a meal from scratch. You need a meal within the next six minutes. Time is running out. 
So you turn to it and it saves the day. The microwave is the kitchen's super sub. And there have been no better super subs over the year than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. <laughs> I didn't realise you were doing a Premier League manager's ranking. I thought this was going to be a player's one. But you know what? I, I nearly put Olivier Giroud for that. <laughs> because Giroud had that spell at Arsenal when he yeah, was an yeah. unbelievable super sub. And he got really arsy about it. He was like, don't call me a super sub. He was good though. Chicharito maybe. Yeah. Chicharito had Ju- a spell as I think unbelievable Jermaine, Jermaine Defoe is right up there statistically as well. Um, but look, this, is, this, is, this is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, and at number one is The Spoon. It's not really an appliance, really appliance but we'll see where it goes. Utensil, appliance, whatever. It's, the spoon is versatile as hell. I don't think it gets enough credit. Like, I really don't think it does. Obviously, you would always use a spoon to eat soup or cereal that you've put milk in. Um, if you're at a race carrying an egg, you would carry it on it. So it's, there's not a lot you can't do with a spoon. You haven't described that much there, mate. You've described two liquid dishes and an egg and spoon <laughs> race. <laughs> but I've started working it into different scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> And this is despite the fact that I absolutely despise washing them up because every time I twist it in the water, it's like a tidal wave yeah. wrecks me. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely they're very aggressive, actually, spoons. But I've started working spoons into other scenarios, specifically when I eat curry now. Like if I'm eating like a, like a dansack or something with rice and meat, I've stopped chopping the, the cubes of meat in half. I'm saving time. I just eat the entire thing. Just, just in one. So I spoon the entire thing up and just eat, just eat much faster. What you're saying is you're a child. <laughs> so, yeah. But it saves on washing up if you just use the one utensil as well. <laughs> so what you're saying is you're a child. <laughs> so what I'm saying is the spoon is the most versatile utensil in the, in the kitchen. Okay. It can be used for almost anything if you want it to. The most versatile player I could think of was Saul Negueth, who mm. plays like holding mid, centre mid, attacking mid, centre back, left right back, back. <laughs> right mid, left mid. He plays everywhere except in goal, right back and striker. He's he is I'm pretty sure I've seen Sal deployed at right back. So that actually that makes <laughs> maybe, it only maybe, two. Maybe. But Sal is the most versatile player I could think of. And for me, he's he's the spoon of the kitchen drawer. Okay. Dean, have you got anything to add to these? I've got my own one. Uh the TV remote. So it's one of the household's most important pieces of equipment. <laughs> no house functions smoothly without one. Yet it also causes huge arguments. Also goes missing quite regularly. Oh, no. Paul Pogba. (laughs) I thought it was was coming. (laughs) Yes. I saw it coming. Yeah. Yeah. It was was good. A lot of fun there. Fulham used to have a player called Papa Booba Diop who was nicknamed The Wardrobe because of his just immense size. And he used to just whack in belters from distance. So, yeah. That's Send us like, in yours. I, went, I, yeah. was, I was sort of more clever and cute with mine. Yeah, no, I, I mean, yours are, yours are better, but that was a good nickname and I did like it. Um, yeah, do send us in. If you've got any good kitchen appliances as footballers, we would love to hear them. Get <laughs> us on Twitter or using the hashtag Rank Squad. So that is us all wrapped this week. And all that is left for me to do is say thank you to these two fellas, to Sam Ty. Thank you. And to Dean Jones. Cheers, Jackson. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you so <laughs> much for listening. <laughs> thanks Dino <laughs> please keep sharing with probably friends and remember to download the BR app for all the best sports and culture content in the business big love rank squad we'll see you soon peace